Back on golf today, Live Golf season has reached its final event this week. All the teams and players are at Trump National Doral for the team championship Miami. Earlier this week, all the captains met with the media, and as expected, Phil Mickelson was asked questions about the official World Golf ranking not dishing out points. I'm just bringing like facts to life as to like why that's happening, but really we as a, as a group, as a, as a league, that's uh, trying to grow the game and bring it globally and and uh, and promote the 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 game on a you know throughout the world and as well as bring something different than the old stodgy format that we've had for for decades. Uh, we just need to focus on what we're doing and make our product as good as possible, as interesting as possible. We we need to all make tweaks into our program. Uh, the OWGR needs to obviously make tweaks, but we need to tweak our our format to to. Uh, continue to evolve and be more interesting and easier to understand. And we have enough uh, on our plate to make our product more and more exciting and appealing that uh, we shouldn't worry ourselves with what they're doing. Uh, but I do want to bring to light as to why exactly they're doing what they're doing. It's, it's not um, what they're, they're putting out there you know, in, in, on the front page. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes as to um, the importance of, of us not getting points to, to the PJ Tour. Even if you made the changes that they seem to be suggesting, you know, more pathways to the, to the league, it, it sounds to be the big thing, that it wouldn't matter? I think that the majors need to protect their product, and there's probably other ways that they can do that uh, by creating uh, slots. If, if they want to make sure that they have the best fields in golf, they could create vehicles for players on live to play in the majors where they don't have to use the OWGR, which would undermine the, the TV contract and revenue of the PGA Tour if they, if they uh, gave points uh, to live. Right back to you. You had just fallen up on what you had said earlier. You said that lives needs to continue to evolve. How would you like to see live evolve now that you've kind of seen it for one full season now? Well, I don't, I don't feel like we, we have a lot of ideas internally and I think we should, should uh, keep that there because we still have to do not only like we might have ideas, but we have to, to see if they're good ideas, if they're going to work. But when you're a startup and we've only been around a year and a half, um, you look at the quality of players that we have already, and that's going to continue to improve next year, and it's going to continue to improve the following year. It's important that we continue to evolve our, our product, our presentation. Uh, this was kind of the idea at the beginning. Like we thought, okay, we, we'll have the team championship, we'll have the individual part, we'll have the team part. But all of that is flexible and, and should be, uh, should be evolved so that uh, based on fans' needs and wants as well as uh, television and, and uh, other entities so, so it's easier to understand and it becomes more appealing. In that same press conference, Phil was also asked about the Live Golf season in 2024 and what changes might be coming to Live. Here's what he had to say. Phil, sorry, you said earlier on that um, you expect Live to improve next year and have better players or more top players. And then you've said then that you've had loads of calls from DP World Tour players and PGA Tour players. Um, do you think there's going to be a, another sort of exodus because it, it's been sort of the sort of um, drain sort of stopped, the, the move over stopped, but do you think we're going to get another tranche of it now? Do I think that? No, I, I, I know that's going to happen. We're, we're, uh, when players look at, at, uh, at Live, they're wanting to be a part of it. I mean, everybody here is happy and enjoying what we're doing and enjoying uh, the team aspect of it and enjoying each other and the camaraderie and enjoying bl bringing golf globally. And 
all the benefits that come with uh, playing this this tour. So there's a lot of players that see that and want to be a part of it. And um, the question is, you know, how many spots are available? There's there's a lot more players that want to come than there are spots. And you don't think the merger talks will affect that? Uh, I think the merger talks allow for it. I mean, I think that it allows and kind of opens the door for that, yeah. Because say, say the promotion event in December, start of December in Abu Dhabi, that's against a European tour event and they'll have to ask for releases. You still think that they'll go for it even though they'll probably get fined? And uh, There's a lot of players that, that could be signed uh, not even through the, the qualifying. You know, there's, there's spots on teams uh, that are open that that uh, players want to come over and be a part of. Phil Mixon back in front of a microphone. Eamon, there was a time when he was one of the most comfortable players in front of a microphone. Not so much over the last couple of years, but it seems like he's getting his groove back. Clearly one of the top 10 to 15 players of all time. Signed a lot of autographs, but when he speaks, I just don't know if I can believe everything coming out of his mouth, especially when there are so many unknowns in professional golf. He's saying, I'm spouting facts and a lot of I knows in that press conference when a lot of us, even the people in those back rooms, don't know what's happening. Yeah, and I'd be wary of putting too much faith in the predictive abilities of a guy whose gambling partner said he lost $100 million mm. gambling over the years. But he may be right in the most basic sense in that new players will be coming in because Liv has announced that at least four guys are going to be leaving, so presumably they will be replaced. So when he says the quality of Liv players will improve, he's right, you're getting rid of the four worst. So presumably <laughs> the four guys coming in might actually elevate the standard of play a little bit. But it's who they're getting is the question here. Is it anyone that matters? Everything he said, Greg Norman has said previously. If you go back six months a year, Greg Norman was acting as the same propagandist that Phil is now claiming that there is a swath of high-level players who are begging to get on this tour. And the evidence just doesn't simply back that up. Most elite players, the guys who matter, seem to have made their decision as to where they're staying. So last year, they got Sebastian Munoz. They got Mito Pereira. They got Brendan Steele. Those are not needle movers at all. And so Phil's kind of pretending that there is a, a great future here when the reality is... This product really isn't much different than it was a year ago in terms of an audience. They no longer even publish their viewing figures from, from a TV audience on the CW, which isn't really a harbinger of a, of a product that's very healthy out there. And Phil is just simply propagating this boosterism that, that Greg Norman used to do. Greg hasn't made any media comments since the day after the framework agreement was announced in June. He has very clearly been told to zip it by His Excellency, his mm. employer. And so Phil is playing the booster role, and he kind of has to because what Greg Norman sold in public, Phil Mickelson sold in private. He has acknowledged that he was a recruiter for Liv while he was still on the PGA Tour. So he's told these guys that they would be able to cherry-pick the PGA Tour events, and the court said, you're not going to do that. They, he told them they could cherry-pick DP World Tour events. A tribunal over there said, you're not doing that. Either, you know, he told them that they would be welcomed in majors and the majors are telling them you got to earn it. He yes. told them they would get world ranking points. They're not getting those either. He told them they would all be these visionaries healed by the golf fans around the world and they've been accused of being stooges for sports washing. So he has to continue because Phil sold them this lie. So of course he has to continue to tell them that the, that the great lie is rolling on, that the future is bright. But are they getting closer? 
on that dais, the reigning PGA champion and Brooks Kepka, who just competed in the Ryder Cup for the United States. To his right, the Open Championship, the 150th, Cameron Smith, one of the great short game displays we ever saw on the 17th hole. Sergio Garcia is on that dais. Do you think that I mean, they have great players? That, that's unquestionable. Will Liv do what is necessary to get the official World Golf ranking points that they need? Even Phil seemed to demur on, on that question. They won't because Greg Norman has explicitly said that they do not intend to become compliant. And when Phil is talking about that he's bringing out facts in this world golf ranking debate, he's doing the exact opposite. He's bringing out statements of opinion mm. rather than facts. You know, he's claiming that all the majors are colluding against Liv to protect the PGA Tours TV deal. The PGA Tours TV deal is entirely irrelevant to the majors. They all have their own broadcast rights deals out there. And, you know, he's talking about that if, if live players get these ranking points that somehow the PGA Tour loses leverage. What leverage? They're not negotiating with anyone. They're, they don't have rights deals that are up for the next nine or ten years at this point. He's just throwing out all of these false equivalencies and outright deceptions to pretend that there is a widespread industry collusion against Liv, and he never at one point acknowledges that Liv was not compliant when it launched and has made no effort to become compliant since then. That's the reason why they're not getting word ranking points. It's not this kind of gaslighting conspiracy that he's talking about. In some way, has he been vindicated, even only halfway or partially, to see that the changes that the PGA Tour has made, to see that at least an agreement, they may not have a, a framework agreement that's actually built, but agreement to, to have a discussion to try to find some common ground. Does Phil have any, you know, area where he can kind of tip his cap? I mean, he sat on that dais. They weren't asking questions to the other guys. It was question after question after question to a six-time major champ who used to be one of the two most popular figures in this game. Well, no one else on that dais has really kind of put themselves forward as a quasi-official spokesman mm. for Liv in the manner that Phil Mickelson has. You can absolutely argue that some of the changes Phil Mickelson wanted to see in terms of player equity or governance of the PGA Tour would not have happened without this. And you can certainly say that making those arguments was perfectly valid. It's an entirely different thing to say that the best means of obtaining all of those changes is to ally yourself with people who chop up journalists. And to maybe put a torch to your former employer that helped make you the player that you are in terms of the endorsements, the visibility, the history that he made as a six-time major champ, a player's champ, and such a popular figure, a beloved figure in this game, and, and the way he went out, that, that, that's the issue I think that a lot of people have when they look at his career toward the end of it, post-PGA championship. Yeah, and to your point earlier, it's very hard to believe a word that comes out of Phil's mouth anymore because there doesn't appear to be and an honest gene in there. He's a propagandist yeah. for murderers. And he, he's quite happy with that. He's embraced that role. And he can talk about wanting to improve his product and the audience engagement and players calling him. There will always be players who want money. And there will always be players who either haven't made that breakthrough or can't quite stay on top, who are always eager for knowing what that next cash out looks like. But it doesn't necessarily add legitimacy to the product. The only legitimacy Liv has accumulated in a year and a half was handed to it during the framework agreement by the very tours that it was actually attempting to overthrow. And listening to him, it is hard to know where the propaganda begins and, and the truth ends and, and where, where he sits 
even at this point in his career, it's just hard to know and hard to follow everything that's coming out of his mouth. It's just a never-ending debate. Mm. A year and a half. We'll continue. Back on golf today, Charles Schwab Cup playoffs begin this week at the Country Club of Virginia for the Dominion Energy Charity Classic. First of three playoff events. Here's how to all break down three tournament series to determine the winner of the Charles Schwab Cup. 72 players this week in the Timber Tech Championship down to 54 and then 36 in the Charles Schwab Cup Championship. Let's take a look at the top 10 players. Steve Stricker you'll see is out front on the strength of six wins but not in the field this week. Number four Stephen Ames is in the field and he joins us now from the Country Club of Virginia. Stephen Ames, it's great to see you. 59 is a magic number in golf apparently. You're 59. You have four wins this season after none last season. What's been the difference? Oh, good question. If I knew that, then I'd be buying more lottery tickets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no clue. Um, I would say probably last year I was a little bit more consistent than I am this year. Uh, but this year I have four wins. So I, it's kind of hard to balance the differences between the two years. When you're 59 and you hit a purple patch like this, Stephen, do you find yourself wondering how you're, you're doing this? Or are you just kind of ride it out as long as this hot streak's going to take you? Um, there are certain things that have changed the last couple of years that are, are probably now starting to kick in for me. Uh, the main one is the health. Um, I've been uh, rededicating myself more into the gym now more than anything else. And I've gone back to my old psychologist I used to work with since 04. So I guess those two elements there are helping a lot. And then I've got a good coach that I've been working with the last five years that have, has helped me um, get rid of my big misses and uh, keep it, keeping the ball more in play now. The gym work gets tough after 50. Let me tell you, are you flipping over tiger, tires like VJ Singh? Are you pulling oh. cables? Like what kind of workouts are you doing, Stephen? <laughs> No, I'm not doing that stuff that VJ does. <laughs> Definitely, I'm just uh, typical stuff: uh, lifting the weights, keeping the muscles uh, strong as I can. Uh, as we all know, as after the age of 25, you start losing muscle mass. So, for, in my case, I've been trying to get some of it back at 59, and uh, it's it's been working. You know, I feel a lot healthier than I have ever felt. This time, of, this time of the year, as the year goes on, it's a long year, and I'm feeling physically better than I've ever felt before. So. That's also a plus there in my sense. Stephen, I've covered your golf for a long time. And when you win, you win to, to, tend to win by big margins. Four-shot win, five-shot win, seven-shot win this year, a six-shot win at the Players' Championship. When that is happening, are you getting the right clubs and numbers? Does the, does the hole look like a bucket? What happens for you to win by a touchdown as often as you do? Uh, I think you know it more than I do when you watch it. It's... Uh you got all the elements of your game playing well. You're hitting a lot of fairways, giving yourself a lot of opportunities. And, of course, the putter is obviously the the, deter, the, uh, the, the denominator, as I say, uh, more than anything else, is when you're making putts. Steve Stricker wouldn't be winning six times out here if he wasn't making putts. And that's the reason why he's won six times. Speaking of Steve Stricker, he is top of the list by a margin for the Charles Schwab Cup. You're right there at number four, one of the very few guys who has a mathematical chance of catching him. Do you realistically think that that can happen for you over the next three tournaments, Stephen? Or are you figuring that you're going to set other goals because he's a little bit kind of hard to catch at this stage? Uh, that's pretty much what I've done. I've set different goals right now for myself. He's going to be very difficult to catch. 
Um, he's playing the last one for, for from what I know. Um, the fact that he's his worst finish for the year has been 15 says a lot. So anything inside of top 15, top 20, he's still going to mathematically win, even if we won, if we won all three, which again is going to be very difficult to do. He's one of those guys who seems to defy age, as you're doing this season as well. And your driving distance out there this year, Stephen, is very similar to what it was in your prime on the PGA Tour. Is it as simple as the equipment offers you some help now that it didn't used to, or are you simply a better golfer than you were back then? Uh, I'm better. I've learned how to maximize my club head speed with my ball and the shaft and angle of attack and all those things. Um, in the past, I basically picked a driver that kind of put the ball in play. Today, now, I'm obviously trying to get more out of it because of obviously because we've gotten older. And uh, I've learned that through my new coach, Shaheen. And he's taught me how to be a little bit more flatter through the ball and uh, create less spin, and the ball's going farther for me. President's Cup next year will be in Canada. Uh, you're Canadian. Mike Weir is the captain. Do you want to have... Any role on that team, vice captaincy, or my goodness, if you keep winning, there's been 50-year-olds playing Ryder <laughs> Cups and President's Cups before. Uh, you know what? I'm going to leave that to the guys who have the experience in the President's Cups and the Ryder Cups. I didn't have any. I didn't have the opportunity of playing in any of them. So I'm going to leave that to Ernie and, uh, and Mike and all those guys to do the, the, the President's Cup. Stephen, there's so much focus this year on guys like Stricker and Harrington and Bernhard Langer, all of which is deserved for what they have accomplished. But do you think you've gotten enough credit for what you've done this season at the age of 59? No, I've, uh, I've got enough, I say. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think overall, at the end of the day, it's uh, I'm going to go home and sleep in my bed and go, yeah, you know, I've had a great year, wonderful year, let's get ready for next year. Uh, at this stage right now, it's, uh, it's about me. Um, I've, I've, I've had a good career coming from where I'm from the Caribbean. I've had a great career on the BJ tour. Now I'm making another good career here on the champions tour. And at the end of the day, all it is for me right now is icing on the cake. Well, on that note, you're nearly a decade into your PJ tour champions career. Has it been everything you wanted it to be when you turned 50? Has it turned out the way you wanted it to? Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. We have a lot of fun out here. We're all hoping the Tiger comes out and joins us and has a few drinks as we go along. <laughs> you know, uh, Phil left us. I don't know why. I don't know if he's having any fun on the live. But uh, I do know that the guys the guys all come out here and say, you know what, these guys can still play. And we all are capable of playing. So kudos to all of us who are still there out there and competing. And at the same time, at the end of the day, we're all capable of sitting down and having a cold beer or a glass of wine at dinner, which is nice. I want to take you in a little philosophical direction, Stephen. What do you know at 59 as a golfer that you wish Stephen Ames had known at 29 as a golfer? Oh, I wish I wasn't as hot-headed as I, uh, as I was then. <laughs> you know, I'm realizing that, you know, you're going to hit a couple bad shots um, in, a, in a round of golf and learning to accept the bad shots that in that particular moment at the time it would have helped me a lot more than it, has, than it does today. Stephen, how much do you pay attention to the rise of Canadians on the PGA Tour, many of them winning, playing so well? Nick Taylor was arguably the best win of the season. Yep. For sure, without a doubt. It was fabulous to watch Nick in the putt. And the funny thing is that uh, when we actually were uh, running in between hotels, we caught that last putt at, that, at the, last time, uh, the last moment when we walked into the room. So it was phenomenal to watch. And uh, 
finally got the, we should say, the monkey off the back of Canadians uh, winning a Canadian Open. So uh, very happy for him, and he's having a great year, and he looks like he's hopefully going to be a, a President's Cup pick, too, with Mike. Well, Stephen, you're having a great year as well. Best of luck in Virginia, and best of luck in the playoffs. Thank you very much, guys. All right, folks, speaking of the President's Cup, Hideki Matsuyama, most popular player at the Zozo Championship this week. And after the break, you're going to go into a full deep dive into Hideki's career. Does he own a Hall of Fame resume? We'll debate. Back on golf today, Charles Schwab Cup playoffs begin this week at the Country Club of Virginia for the Dominion Energy Charity Classic. First of three playoff events. Here's how to all break down three tournament series to determine the winner of the Charles Schwab Cup. 72 players this week in the Timber Tech Championship down to 54 and then 36 in the Charles Schwab Cup Championship. Let's take a look at the top 10 players. Steve Stricker, you'll see, is out front on the strength of six wins, but not in the field this week. Number four, Stephen Ames is in the field, and he joins us now from the Country Club of Virginia. Stephen Ames, it's great to see you. 59 is a magic number in golf, apparently. You're 59. You have four wins this season after none last season. What's been the difference? Oh, good question. If I knew that, then I'd be buying more lottery tickets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no clue. Um, I would say probably last year I was a little bit more consistent than I am this year. Uh, but this year I have four wins. So I, it's kind of hard to balance the differences between the two years. When you're 59 and you hit a purple patch like this, Stephen, do you find yourself wondering how you're, you're doing this? Or are you just kind of ride it out as long as this hot streak's going to take you? Um, there are certain things that have changed the last couple of years that are, are probably now starting to kick in for me. Uh, the main one is the health. Um, I've been uh, rededicated myself more into the gym now more than anything else. And I've gone back to my old psychologist I used to work with since 04. So I guess those two elements there are helping a lot. And then I've got a good coach that I've been working with the last five years that have, has helped me um, get rid of my big misses and uh, keep it, keeping the ball more in play now. The gym work gets tough after 50. Let me tell you, are you flipping over tiger, tires like Vijay Singh? Are you pulling no. cables? Like, what kind of workouts are you doing, Stephen? <laughs> no, I'm not doing that stuff that Vijay does. <laughs> Definitely. I'm just uh, typical stuff, uh, lifting the weights, keeping the muscles as uh, strong as I can. Uh, as we all know, as after the age of 25, you start losing muscle mass. So, for, in my case, I've been trying to get some of it back at 59 and uh, – it's it's been working, you know. I feel a lot healthier than I have ever felt. This time, of, this time of the year, as the year goes on, it's a long year, and I'm feeling physically better than I've ever felt before. So that's also a plus there in my sense. Stephen, I've covered your golf for a long time, and when you win, you win to, to tend to win by big margins. Four shot win, five shot win, seven shot win this year, a six shot win at the Players Championship. When that is happening, are you getting the right clubs and numbers? Does the, does the hole look like a bucket? What happens for you to win by a touchdown as often as you do? Uh, I think you know it more than I do when you watch it. It's, uh, you got all the elements of your game playing well. You're hitting a lot of fairways, giving yourself a lot of opportunities. And, of course, the putter is obviously the, the, deter, the, uh, the, the denominator, as to say, uh, more than anything else, is when you're making putts. Steve Stricker wouldn't be 
winning six times out here if he wasn't making putts. And that's the reason why he's won six times. Speaking of Steve Stricker, he is top of the list by a margin for the Charles Schwab Cup. You're right there at number four, one of the very few guys who has a mathematical chance of catching him. Do you realistically think that that can happen for you over the next three tournaments, Stephen? Or are you figuring that you're going to set other goals because he's a little bit kind of hard to catch at this stage? That's pretty much what I've done. I've set different goals right now for myself. He's going to be very difficult to catch. Um, he's playing the last one for, for, from what I know. Um, the fact that he's, his worst finish for the year has been 15 says a lot. So anything inside of top 15, top 20, he's still going to mathematically win, even if we won, if we won all three, which, again, is going to be very difficult to do. He's one of those guys who seems to defy age, as you're doing this season as well. And your driving distance out there this year, Stephen, is very similar to what it was in your prime on the PGA Tour. Is it as simple as the equipment offers you some help now that it didn't used to, or are you simply a better golfer than you were back then? Uh, I'm better. I've learned how to maximize my club head speed with my ball and the shaft and angle of attack and all those things. Um, in the past, I basically picked a driver that kind of put the ball in play. Today, now, I'm obviously trying to get more out of it because of obviously because we've gotten older. And uh, I've learned that through my new coach, Shaheen. And he's taught me how to be a little bit more flatter through the ball and uh, create less spin, and the ball's going farther for me. President's Cup next year will be in Canada. Uh, you're Canadian. Mike Weir is the captain. Do you want to have any role on that team? Vice captaincy, or my goodness, if you keep winning, there's been 50-year-olds playing <laughs> Ryder Cups and President's Cups before. Uh, you know what? I'm going to leave that to the guys who have the experience in the President's Cups and the Ryder Cups. I didn't have any... I didn't have the opportunity of playing in any of them. So I'm going to leave that to Ernie and, uh, and Mike and all those guys to do the, the, the President's Cup. Stephen, there's so much focus this year on guys like Stricker and Harrington and Bernhard Langer, all of which is deserved <coughs> for what they have accomplished. But do you think you've gotten enough credit for what you've done this season at the age of 59? No, I've, uh, I've got enough, I say. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think overall... At the end of the day, it's uh, I'm going to go home and sleep in my bed and go, yeah, you know, I've had a great year, wonderful year. Let's get ready for next year. Uh, at this stage right now, it's uh, it's about me. Um, I've 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 had a good career coming from where I'm from, from the Caribbean. I've had a great career on the BJ Tour. Now I'm making another good career here on the Champions Tour. And at the end of the day, all it is for me right now is icing on the cake. Well, on that note, you're nearly a decade into your. PJ Tour champions career. Has it been everything you wanted it to be when you turned 50? Has it turned out the way you wanted it to? Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. We have a lot of fun out here. We're all hoping the Tiger comes out and joins us and has a few drinks as we go along. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Phil left us. I don't know why. I don't know if he's having any fun on the live. But uh, I do know that the guys, the guys all come out here and say, you know what, these guys can still play. And we all are capable of playing. So kudos to all of us who are still there out there and competing. And at the same time, at the end of the day, we're all capable of sitting down and having a cold beer or a glass of wine at dinner, which is nice. I want to take you in a little philosophical direction, Stephen. What do you know at 59 as a golfer that you wish Stephen Ames had known at 29 as a golfer? Oh, I wish I wasn't as hot-headed as I, uh, as I was then. <laughs> you know, I'm realizing that, you know, you're going to hit a couple bad shots. Um... In a, in a round of golf and learning to accept the bad shots that in that particular moment at the time 
and it would have helped me a lot more than it has than it does today. Stephen, how much do you pay attention to the rise of Canadians on the PGA Tour? Many of them winning, playing so well. Nick Taylor was arguably the best win of the season. Yep. For sure, without a doubt. It was fabulous to watch Nick in the putt. And the funny thing is that uh, when we actually were uh, running in between hotels, we caught that last putt at, that, at the, last time, uh, the last moment when we walked into the room. So it was phenomenal to watch and uh, finally got, the, we should say, the monkey off the back of Canadians uh, winning a Canadian Open. So uh, very happy for him and he's having a great year and he looks like he's hopefully going to be a, a President's Cup pick too with Mike. Well, Stephen, you're having a great year as well. Best of luck in Virginia and best of luck in the playoffs. Thank you very much, guys. All right, folks, speaking of the President's Cup, Hideki Matsuyama, most popular player at the Zozo Championship this week. And after the break, you're going to go into a full deep dive into Hideki's career. Does he own a Hall of Fame resume? We'll debate. to golf today Eamon Lynch alongside Damon Hack. Damon we just talked to Stephen Ames mm. who is, you know, grew up in Trinidad and Tobago he's Canadian very much a global player global passports yeah. global record he's won all over the world when you look out there these days at a guy like say uh, Hideki Matsuyama is the one that jumps to mind with me as a guy who's perceived very much as a global player but he's actually very much a PGA Tour mm. player doesn't compete as often in Asia as he ought to, but that doesn't seem to have lessened any of the impact at all. He's been quiet lately. We haven't seen him since he withdrew from the BMW Championship, the second of the FedEx Cup playoff events. He's, he fights injuries yeah, a lot. Yeah, he does. Where, where do you see him, where he is right now? Let's, we'll get to the legacy stuff later, yeah. but right now, is, is he in a worrisome spot? He's all the way down to 36 in the world. He used to be number two. He did. He was number two, of course, won the Masters a couple of years ago. He's missed a little bit. He has such a big presence overseas in Asia, and he has a big presence here. Big game. Uh, you big know, gallery. Big <laughs> gallery. And, you know, talks to the media afterwards. I mean, it's Tiger-esque in terms of the media that follows him shot to shot. I'll never forget covering him at the Hero World Challenge a few years ago in the Bahamas. This is as silly season as it gets. I mean, it definitely supports Tiger's event. But the guys are like, they're not grinding out there. You know, usually you go to PJ PGA Tour, the, the range is crowded. Everybody's working on something. At the Bahamas and the Hero, you know. Working you, on their pina coladas. Exactly. You've, you've already, you've put in a lot of hours that year. But there was Hideki on the putting green just hour after hour. And then after his round, while most of the, the players would answer a couple questions and then everybody was doing their, they were in their thing, there were 20 or 30 reporters around Hideki, and he would answer every single question. It was remarkable. First, it's the TV media, then it's the print media, and then it's the Internet. I mean, he, the guy was standing there forever, and then he would be grinding over putts time after time after time in December in the Bahamas. Doesn't that have to get joyless at a little point as well? Do you, does Hideki, Hideki give you the vibe of somebody who actually enjoys the role that he's in? You know, I think he speaks English better than he lets on. I think he has closer relationships with some of the players than we even know. You see him walk by the range, and you'll see a Xander Shoffley give him a little bit of an elbow or have a little interaction with Tiger. 
we talked about the weight that Tiger carried, you know, every round of the referendum, whether he shot 63 or 73. I imagine Hideki feels that weight in a different way, being the representative that he is to Japan. And certainly painful when you're dealing with injuries with the frequency mm. that he has over the last few years as well. That's an extra layer of pressure he's got to deal with. And I think it's added up to a pretty strong resume that's been built for more than a decade. Includes winning this event back in 2021. We talk about his tremendous fairway woods. How about this one? In front of the home country. Are you kidding me? Fired a final round 65 to win by five shots. Look at the crowds. Love that trophy, by the way. Very unique in our game and things he's accomplished. I mean, the first Japanese golfer to win a men's major and it was the Masters. We saw just the gravity of that moment. Eight PGA Tour wins, the most by a golfer from Japan. Eight wins on the Japan Golf Tour. Five-time member of the President's Cup International Team. Won the Asia Pacific Amateur both in 2010 and 2011, which speaks, of course, to his great affinity and tie to Augusta National Golf Club. He is front and center for his country. Has he done enough for Japan? I'm going to answer the question first. I think he has. If he doesn't do another thing in this game, what he has done is monumental. It is a life changer for the kids and the players to follow him. And I can't imagine how his life has changed since then. He has won a couple of times since on the PGA Tour, since putting on the green jacket. But you want to talk about a life-changing moment. That is historic stuff. He needs to do more, obviously, I think, in my opinion, to, to become a truly all-time great. But when you're our trailblazer the way Hideki has been, that is an incredibly strong presentation. Yeah, and it really leads to this debate as far as Hall of Fame conversations go on the difference between resume and impact. Mm. And Hideki's resume is still, while hugely impressive, is shy of Hall of Fame standards. Sure. The impact, we are assuming, I think with some evidence, that it will be equal to anything he could possibly do on the golf course. And you're already seeing some of that. You look at uh, Kito Nakajima, who was the number one ranked amateur player in the world before he recently turned professional. You're going to hear that all week long whenever the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship yeah. comes around, the number of kids in that field from Asia, not just in Japan, who look to Hideki Matsuyama as a guy that, that has inspired them. He, he set goals that they want to match. So we can assume that there's going to be this tsunami of influence that we saw, say, from Seiri Pak among South Korean golfers. And you see it with Hideki. You're not seeing it right now. Mm. It's in development. I think there, there's plenty of evidence of that, and we see that at the Asia-Pacific Amateur Championship every year. So the, the impact of Hideki, I think, will be proven to be beyond dispute mm. in terms of the first really elite golfer to come out of Asia. I mean, we point to guys over the years who've made an impact, like Asao Aoki, who really went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jack in the majors a couple of times. But Jumbo Ozaki, we talk about him. Jumbo Ozaki had 119 victories around the world, but one of them came outside yeah. of Japan, which was the 1972 New Zealand PGA Championship. <laughs> he was not a global player and stayed in the top 10 in the world rankings based on what he was doing in Japan because it was a differently weighted system back then. But Hideki competes over here. Those eight PGA of Japan wins that he has, the last one was in 2016. Right. Hideki is now a, a PGA Tour-based player, measuring himself against the best in the world and proving that he's up 
to that measurement time and time again. Eight-time winner on the PGA Tour, winner of the Masters, the winner of a couple of World Golf Championship events, a linchpin of the international team for the President's Cup, a five-time member. I think the players on that team, and I'm talking about the repeat players, players like Adam Scott, for example, close to Hideki in a way that maybe us in the media can't be. Uh, I've interviewed Hideki. He won the Hero World Challenge that year. He was put on the green hour after hour. And I did the post-round interview with him, and it's, you know, an interpreter is there. So there's a little bit of a, of a distance that, that a reporter or a journalist has with Hideki just because you're talking to Bob Turner, and then Bob is asking the question to Hideki, and then Hideki talks to Bob, and it's back to you. I think that bit of a barrier also probably affects him in terms of maybe the fan base that he would have in the United States just because of the, the language barrier that exists. Yeah, and it's very easy to overlook the fact that it is a World Golf Hall of Fame mm. rather than a United States Golf or PGA Tour Golf Hall of Fame. And there's a reason why Liv was prepared to offer Hideki Matsuyama more money yeah. than anyone else, with the possible exception of Tiger Woods. And the, the number that kept going around for Hideki in public over the last couple of years was several hundred million dollars, perhaps up to $400 million. That's the value that Greg Norman put on the potential that if you get Hideki, you get the Asian market. Mm. You get generations. You own several generations of players who will come up because th that's who they're trying to emulate right. and that you're setting the standard for those kids going forward. They didn't get him. Uh, Hideki, I think it's slightly worrisome, the number of injuries mm. he fights, the, the number of withdrawals that we see from Hideki. He does seem a little physically fragile right now, but he's, he's also a guy who's... His dedication to the craft is impressive to watch. You've talked about him grinding it out yeah, hour amazing. after hour. Amazing. And that absolute army of Japanese media that follows him around everywhere, they never, they don't leave until Hideki leaves. That's right. And you know, when, there's only two players you kind of know when they're on the move around a golf course, and that's Tiger with the cheers and Hideki because the army of media is moving behind him all the time, tracking mm -hmm. his every move. Can't be the easiest kind of circumstances yeah. to live under. I mean, he was, he'd been married for a while before he even made public right. that he had been married or that there was anyone in his life, which to me kind of speaks to the amount of scrutiny and pressure he's under at home. Wanted to keep a few things private for as long as he could. You mentioned Tiger Woods. So speaking of Tiger Woods, this week in golf history, thanks to a closing 6 under 66 on the Magnolia course at Walt Disney World, Tiger Woods posted 21 under 267 and beat playing partner and fellow Orlando resident Paige Stewart by a stroke in the 1996 Disney Classic. It was his second career PGA Tour victory. It makes sense of how did his career unfold. Let's go all the way to 2019. Tiger winning the Zozo to secure his 82nd career victory on the PGA Tour, tying Sam Snead for the all-time tour wins record. Finished with a final round 64 on that day. And there's that cool trophy again. And of course, because of the Masters tournament that he won, which was just an incredible moment that transcended the sport oh. as all of his majors do, but especially that one, the win at the Zozo perhaps underappreciated a little bit in tying Sam Snead. Yeah, the time difference doesn't help the legacy and the record right. there. And th that's why I think it would be wonderful if, if we could see number 83. Mm. I'm not entirely optimistic on that. But then again, I was very much in the camp of, of people who thought that Tiger was done at 79. I didn't expect him to win the Tour Championship that he got back in 2018. I didn't expect him certainly to win the Masters in 2019. And then obviously the Zozo 
that follow that. So for a guy who's been written off and his obituary has been written so many times in, in the competitive sense that are we really going to be that surprised if there is a number 83 in there? I, I will not be. You heard Stephen Ames say, you know, I can't wait for Tiger to get out here on PGA Tour Champions. But you still just knowing how he has gone about his business, who he has been, how hard he has worked, what gets him up every day out of bed, it, it's, it's the pursuit of this golf career. I, I'll never count him out again until he just can't get on the golf course anymore. 2019, and we saw the pieces coming together. We saw it at the Open Championship. We saw it at the PGA, at Bell. We were starting to see the pieces come together in Atlanta, but still there were doubts that you know, he'd never come behind, from behind to win a major championship. There was scar tissue built up from the close calls at Muirfield and elsewhere. And it was just an absolute master class. Chess, once again, we saw what his presence meant on a Sunday when the likes of Big Bad Brooks Kepka, Tony Finau, Ian Poulter, uh, Francesco Molinari, height of power fading away on that Sunday and Amen Corner, as so many have had from time immemorial. I, I just won't count out Tiger Woods having spent uh, some time with him at his TGR Foundation Junior Invitational a couple or a, bit, a couple it was one fall ago now one year ago. I just when you're around him, you just feel the energy of a man who is not done and by hook or by crook will try to figure out a way to put that golf club on a golf ball and control it the way that he did, maybe better than anybody in the history of this game. And it's a very different Tiger Woods, you could argue, that was making that comeback to win the Tour Championship, the Masters, yeah. and the Zozo. The, the car crash and the injury to his leg since then, to me, has seemed much more ominous than the back surgeries and the mm. chipping yips that went before that. But I still think back to... Just about a year ago, we had Nota Begay on the show, and Tiger had given this press conference where he said that he didn't feel the need to climb those mountains anymore, that he had proved what he needed to prove. And I asked Nota, are you buying it? And Nota said, no, are you crazy? That's <laughs> yeah. not how he's wired. Yeah. So he's wired that way. Whether he can physically back it up, that kind of remains to be seen. And his son, Charlie's out there playing great golf. The bond that they have, Tiger's out there looping for his son and in the golf cart and on the range with him, putting on the caddy bib. I, are you kidding me? You want to talk about fuel? That, that's jet fuel for Tiger. We can talk about the majors and winning number 16 and trying to chase down Jack and break this tie with Sam Snead. I will say that at this point, probably the most important events for Tiger are, are the PNC championship and, and the hero also. And sure, he wants to play in Augusta. And, and hopefully if the, if the weather is warm, and it's not rainy, and it you know he had to deal, play with 27 holes or or deal with Mother Nature. It, you know maybe there's a you know on a blue moon you never know what could happen. But I still think the the love of the game that his son has developed is absolutely fueling Tiger Woods as well. It's a long and winding road from tying Sam Snead to being trash talked by your teenage son, <laughs> no isn't it, Damon? But someone else who's been on a long and winding road, Roberta Leedy. She's going to be on the LPGA Tour next year. She earned her card through the Epson Tour this season. She's going to join us right after the break to talk about that long journey to achieving her dreams. Back on Golf Today, just more than a week ago when 10 players earned their LPGA Tour cards in the Epson Tour Championship, I finished inside the top 10 in the season-long race for the card. Since the first year in 1999, 192 athletes have graduated to the big stage, always a big celebration as you can see. 
Here's a look at the 10 players who earned their LPGA cards for 2024. So much to be excited about, some wonderful opportunities for these players, including Italian Roberta Litti, who finished eighth in the race for the card standings. And Litti had her best season since joining the Epson Tour in 2019. She had earned conditional status at the 2022 LPGA Tour Q Series, but opted to spend most of her 23 season on the Epson Tour, where she grabbed six top 10 finishes. And Roberta Litti joins us now. Roberta, I'm curious why you made the decision to go for the Epson Tour in 2023. Was that a bid to secure full status versus trying to make it with the conditional status this year? Hi, guys. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a tough choice. I had to think a lot about it. It, it was, it, I tried to play on the LPGA at the beginning of the season and I tried to get my starts and I was having hard time getting starts and Monday qualified in. And just when I was one third through the season, I just couldn't reshuffle in on the LPGA and I was playing pretty well on the Epson tour. So I just decided that my best chance to get full status for 2024 was to try to make top 10 and just to put my, all my effort on the Epson tour and just kind of stop bouncing around between the two tours because I was wasting a lot of energy and it was just, a lot to deal with and I just figured I had to stick with one of the two. Well the decision worked out beautifully six top 10 finishes this season. In what ways were you a better player this year than last year? I think you know like sometimes it's the small things it's the details. I think when last year I went through qualifying school uh, Q series and I got my card it was a big confidence boost and it just gave me you know the confidence that I could I could be out there and I belonged out there. And, you know, and I just kept working with my coach, Alessio. Um, I just kept working with them and just tried to, like, get a little bit better every day and just, you know, cure the details. And it's, sometimes it's about the small things and just figuring out what works best for you. What were those last few weeks like during the Epson Tour season? I imagine the stress level had to be pretty high. Yeah, I mean, the last few weeks were tough for everybody. You you know, you could cut tension with a knife. And I was just glad that I was able to get a good finish in the first of the last five weeks in Utah. And with a tie for second, they gave, they gave me, in one of the biggest purses of the year, too, um, that just gave me, like, a lot of head start going into the last four weeks. And, um, you know, so I managed to handle my emotions a little bit better, just you know, getting that good weekend. But, you know, you never know until the last week. And, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard. The last few weeks are very nerve-wracking. Roberta, you said you didn't want to bounce around between uh, the LPGA Tour and the Epson Tour. What are the challenges, the financial pressures of trying to reach the highest levels of this game? It's, I mean, it's really hard. And especially starting on the Epson Tour, it's just so hard to get financial help to you know, pay expenses for the season. It's a lot of expenses. It's the entry fees. It's the traveling. It's, you know, and sometimes you don't want to save money on the little things just because, I, like, it's it makes a difference to get a better flight. It gets a difference to get a better accommodation for the week because you have a better chance to play. And it's just all about managing the, the little things and just being able to you know, see where it's worth to save money and when it's not. And the more you have a financial availability to invest money, and I think the easier it is to get a return out of it. 
When you start doing all of that again, new tour next year, you've played a half dozen times on the LPGA Tour. Now you're facing a full season of doing that. Do you feel as though you at least enter the year with more confidence because of the grind that you've gone through this year? I definitely think so. I think the difference between getting your card on the Epson Tour and getting it through qualifying school is that you know, qualifying school is a week and sometimes you are out there and you're like, was it just one week? And you just don't have the like long season grind that you earn that card from like the very first week until the last. And I think earning my card by making top 10 on the Epson Tour just gave me the confidence that I truly can be out there and do well like I did this year. And, you know, I think it just a, like it's a process and it's about building your confidence, especially when you're playing at the highest level. That's a, a lot of what makes the difference for sure. I know you've been busy trying to get this LPGA Tour card, but you're from Siena, about two and a half hours from Rome. How much of a sense of national pride was it that your home country hosted the Ryder Cup a few weeks ago? I mean, it was so exciting just to see, you know, so many people out there and golf growing in Italy. And they've put so much effort into growing the game and into getting more people close to the game and to understand like how beautiful of a game it is and just to be able to watch on TV. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there, but just to watch on TV and see how great the crowd was, the golf course. And, you know, I think it was a great time for everybody. And I'm just, you know, proud to be Italian and I'm proud that, you know, they put such a great event together. Well, some of us can still testify to the quality of the pasta and wine in your home country from that trip. When you look forward to next year, Roberta, what's a reasonable goal for you? Are you a goal setter? And what would those goals be heading into 24 on the LPGA Tour? Yeah, I'm definitely a goal setter. I sat down with my coach a couple of days ago and, you know, we set our goals. for. We looked at the past season and we set our goals for 2024. And I think a realistic goal right now is to keep my card. And so by making top 100 on the LPGA uh, points list and I think that's a great start for the first year out there and you know and definitely one of the goals is to play in the Olympics in 2024 in Paris so those are the two main ones for sure. Those are wonderful goals to have Roberta as you know this game is so difficult to play for some the Epson Tour is a final stop some players consider putting the clubs down I know that's a decision you faced as well what advice would you give to see young players maybe struggling on the Epson Tour? You know, I think it's it's hard. It's hard, and especially right out of college, it's a it's a different world. And sometimes people don't understand that it's a big transition. And you just need to understand what works for you, like how to best manage yourself. And I think sometimes it takes time. And everybody works at a different pace. And you know, for me, it took me four to five years to you know be out there on the LPGA and. I could have quit on year two or three when things weren't going well, or even after one year when I'd made probably only six cuts on my first season. But, you know, I think I really believed that great things were ahead and that just had to be patient and just, you know, found out how to like make the most of, you know, life as a pro. And once I managed to find that balance, then, you know, like everything started working in the right direction. I think it's a sport of patience and you definitely need to, be patient and have, you know, like have the perseverance to wait for, you know, your, the results to come. And, you know, sometimes they come, sometimes they're not. That's life. But I think it takes time and it's not fair to just give yourself one or two years. So what I would say to the people that 
want to do this is definitely be patient. Sometimes it's not, everything doesn't come right away and you just need to keep going and believe in yourself. I mean, everybody says that, but that's really what makes the difference. Well, your patience and hard work have paid off. Congratulations. Best of luck in 2024, Roberta, and thank you for the time. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, folks, still ahead on Golf Today. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and up next we'll be joined by Stanford women's golf coach Ann Walker, whose team is playing for a very important cause this week while helping a friend in need. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Golf Today. In 2015, California women's golf coach Nancy McDaniel was first diagnosed with breast cancer. After celebrating being cancer-free last summer, she unfortunately discovered cancer had returned to her stomach just a few weeks later. McDaniel is a 56-year-old mother of two and started chemotherapy again in August and took a leave of absence from coaching. She's scheduled to return to work on November 1st. Now, Stanford women's golf coach Anne Walker played under Nancy McDaniel at Cal. She reached out to her former coach to ask if she could dedicate this year's Stanford intercollegiate event to Nancy, and funds from the event will go directly to Nancy's oncologist. So far, the play for her campaign tied to the event has raised more than $200,000 towards breast cancer research. The Stanford Intercollegiate is hosted by Dr. Condoleezza Rice, who lost her own mother to breast cancer back in 1985. The play for her fundraiser is tied to this week's Stanford Intercollegiate and Breast Cancer Awareness Month, organized by Stanford's Ann Walker to support Nancy McDaniel in her fight against breast cancer. The funds go to McDaniel's oncologist and her research at the University of California, San Francisco. More than $215,000 raised to date. And Stanford coach Ann Walker joins us now. And how did the Stanford Play for Her campaign come together? Uh, I think, you know, we have a great partnership with Condoleezza Rice and TaylorMade Golf, and we've been looking for a way to give back to the game. And uh, it became a no-brainer to raise awareness around breast cancer, given that we have 120 young women in the field. Uh, you look at the prevalence of breast cancer. It's the most commonly diagnosed cancer globally. Each year, it's taken somewhere around 400,000 cases in the U.S. alone. And so we wanted to use this opportunity to educate the young women about their risk and uh, how they best can take care of themselves, knowing that one in eight women will be diagnosed in their lifetime. And just thinking through the numbers on that, even within this field, we're probably looking at 15 future fighters. So uh, doing what we can to move the needle for these young women beyond the golf course. And you've been a close friend of Nancy McDaniel. You played under her as well. What was her reaction when you called to ask her if this event could be dedicated to her case? You know, she was very emotional. I think having a fight like Nancy has on her hands, it's uh, it takes all your energy and it's it's very personal. It's very private. And to go public with something like this adds a layer. Uh, it takes a lot of courage. And so she was honored. She was, you know, wanting to make the use this as a vehicle for good and use her situation for something positive but at the same time i i respect and admire her for being willing to put forth the courage that it takes to go public with your story how would you describe your friendship with nancy uh well she did she recruited me from scotland and brought me to california and then i i worked with nancy for six years and we've stayed very close friends she's the godmother of my children and uh She's been, you know, a sister at times, a, a coach at times, a mentor at times. But I would say overall, she's one of those irre irreplaceable friends that they only come through your life one or two times. And I'm just glad she came through mine. Do you see something like this, Anne, as part of your mission of being a coach, that it's not just focusing on the 
stuff that goes on inside the ropes, that there's a broader message that you feel an obligation to pass on to the, the kids that you come in contact with in this role? You know, I do. I When I first got into coaching, I, I always wanted to keep that as kind of my North Star, that golf's fun and the wins are nice and, you know, the losses sometimes are hard. But ultimately, I like to consider myself an educator and, and spending time with the athletes and thinking about how you can um, be much more to them than just swing coach, giving them drills, but leaving them an impact on their life that they'll take forward. And so I've tried to always keep that somewhat at the forefront of my coaching style. And then when I think of the game of golf, I, I just, I think that we have such a wonderful community. It's a very small community, but I've never met anyone in, that plays golf that I didn't like. And I think if we can come together as a golfing community, we have great power to do wonderful things. And we see that in all levels of the game. So um, it, it feels like a very natural partnership to do something like this uh, using our collegiate event here in October. And October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but for many women, this is a daily battle and reality the other 11 months out of the year as well. It's affected the coaching ranks, as you know, as well. How much is this a talking point among the coaches 365 days a year? Yeah, I, I think so. At any given moment, you know, again, with the prevalence of breast cancer, every home in America knows someone. And uh, oftentimes that person's in your home, unfortunately. But certainly as women, I would say as you age, there's always a, a friend, a mom, a sister, a daughter. There's someone in your life who is battling this. So you're absolutely right. It's 365 days a year. Uh, I think the message that we want to share is that you're never forgotten. And certainly this weekend, you know, every time we tee it up, those women are in our thoughts and, and we're out there playing for her. I think we've been very overwhelmed with the response. Our initial goal was to raise 25000 And I think at my last look, you know, this morning, we're up at 225000 So uh, I think that just tells you how much this affects everyone. And, and when they hear this, they, they're compelled to give, they're compelled to participate, and they want to make the change. And, and think about who's going to benefit from the change. We're going to take this money. We're going to give it directly to research at UCSF uh, under the direction of Dr. Hope Rugo. But that research changes the outcomes in, you know, the next 15, 20 years. And that's our student athletes. Our student athletes are the ones that will directly benefit from this event this weekend, from this fundraise campaign. And that makes us as coaches and as, as supporters of college golf, it makes us really excited to be able to hopefully change the outcomes for our student athletes. No surprise to see Stanford University leading the way on another important cause. Ann Walker, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, I thank you for covering this. We really appreciate it. And uh, for all the golfers out there, I hope that this weekend everyone can just go play for her.